Listener Production. Hi, I'm Helen McCabe, founder of Future Women, a club helping women to connect, learn and lead. Over my career, I've run teams inside newspapers, edited a magazine and launched my own business. This has meant building a team from scratch, leading through difficult times and managing the odd crisis. I've never had any leadership training because I thought you were either good at leading or you weren't. I thought being decisive was a key metric for success. I was wrong and it led me to make simple but avoidable mistakes. In this series, I'm doing what I should have done years ago, reaching out to people who I admire, who have also successfully run teams across all types of industries. So I can ask their advice on some of the common leadership challenges. Recently, I was asked to speak to a Women in STEM event, but when it came time, everything possible went wrong. So there was a room of people waiting for me to come on camera. The organiser was Dr. Molly Muse, a chemical, environmental and renewable energy engineer with expertise in wastewater treatment. Dr. Muse is also the co-founder of iSTEM Co., a research consulting and talent sourcing business that enables employment for women in STEM. In this episode, Dr. Muse discusses patience when the tech doesn't work, leading introverts and giving feedback. Dr. Muse, welcome to the Future Women Leadership Series. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Oh, thank you very much, Helen, for having me. I'll say something interesting, first of all, about me before maybe delving into my expertise. Um, An interesting fact about me, I've lived in five continents of the seven that we have. (laughs) And then a bit about myself. I'm a chemical, environmental and renewable energy engineer. Um, That's my engineering background. The other thing about me that I think is interesting is the work that I do. I'm very passionate about women women in science, tech, engineering, and maths. And the work that I do is really to enable employment for women into STEM roles. All right, I need to ask you something really left field straight away. Are you a patient person? So I've agreed to speak at your event and you've got a room full of people and I'm on live video and my tech doesn't work and you have to tap dance for what feels like hours while I work out how to Zoom live into your very carefully curated event. Were you or were you not patient during that moment in time? Oh, I was absolutely relaxed, Helen. (laughs) Um, Because... (laughs) I've been wondering um, about that for a while now. uh, I I, I was absolutely relaxed um, because, look, at the end of the day, um, as much as we try to make things go well in life, sometimes there are mishaps and we can't always control things. COVID taught us that. So with events, with things like that, I guess um, I'm very patient. But um, I guess with, with issues that should be addressed, that are obviously, that we can obviously see that, okay, the relevance of, of it, for example, um, just jumping right into it, um, enabling employment for more women or having more women represented in you know, male-dominated fields like engineering. It's very relevant, you know, like we can we can see the effects in every area of our society. So 
I'm impatient when I see that what the data is saying, but there is no shift. So I guess that's impatience, you know, kind of stares me to do something about it. So so this is it, right, Helen? I'm one of those people, if there's a problem, I try to fix it. If I can't fix it, I don't speak about it. So you, if there's a problem, you just go and do it? You just fix it? Yes, that's why I don't watch the news because I try to protect my bubble. I protect my bubble a lot because there's only so much you can do. So if there is something to be done that is very clear, I mean, if someone is already doing it, I would do whatever whatever I can to support what they are doing. I would get behind them. I would give my time. I've done it over and over again. I would, you know, save unpaid if I have to, but I'll do whatever I can to be part of the solution. And I guess that's what I'm, I'm, I'm doing right now. Absolutely. And I want to explore a bit more of that. What leadership skills then do you most admire in someone? Persistence. I think every idea, there is no stupid idea. It's just about timing. Every idea has its own time. So it's, it's kind of like a tide, right? So I, I lived in Hawaii for a bit. And if you go to Honolulu, from 6.30 a.m. to about, you know, like in the morning, you see a lot of the surfers, they come out with their surfboards in this place called Wakiki. And then what they try to do is they try to look at the tide for the right tides to jump in, right? So it's really seeing people who are persistent because if you're persistent, when, when you have a new, especially when you have an idea that could change the world, you have to be ready to understand that sometimes not everyone would embrace it as you see it, but you must never lose the vision of how you see it in your mind. Because then if you're persistent and if you're persistent long enough, I mean, the universe would make way for you. That's how things have been programmed to operate. So I admire people who are persistent. It shows that they truly believe in what they are trying to solve or in the problem, in the solution that they are trying to solve. So persistence is one leadership skill that I really admire in leaders. But the other one, I think a good leader is a leader that is able to recreate their idea in the minds of other people. Because you find that there are some, you know, incredible leaders, they've done amazing things, but, you know, when they die, it dies with them. I don't want to be that sort of leader. I want to be able to, you know, give back to the ideas in my mind, in the minds of other people, so we can collectively, you know, effect change. And what do you do? to build that vision for other people? I mean, I I think what we're talking about is great communication skills, right? I think beyond communication skills, like we all communicate every day. As a matter of fact, communication is like an iceberg. What we say verbally is maybe 10% of what we intend to say. So it's really about um, every day living your truth, living your truth every day. And it could be, you could meet someone at the mall, wherever. Every day we're all selling something. <laughs> it depends on who is buying or what you're selling, right? Um, <laughs> so it's it's really about, you know, bringing awareness, first of all, to the problem. So for example, for me, the niche that I'm solving is the underrepresentation of women in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics fields in STEM. And that's for several reasons, because of, um, I guess, some challenges for me as a woman that I've experienced, as a mom, as a person of color, all these different, you know, layers. And then me thinking broadly that if I'm experiencing this, then maybe 
there could be other people out there that are also having this problem. But look, the people that I even truly admire are people who don't have to experience anything but decide to solve a problem that doesn't, you know, directly impact them. If I can create that awareness, but beyond awareness, because, you know, there are lots of programs, there are lots of mentoring programs, events, workshops for women, <laughs> to mentor women and all of all this. But look, at the end of the day, two things, women want to get into employment and they want to stay employed because they have to get employed and retained within their places of employment to actually grow, to become leaders. So if I can recreate that in the minds of everyone, to, to not to see it as a women problem, but our collective problem, because it is. Australia, it costs us $25 billion annually not supporting women into work. That is even a 2013 um, statistics from the Gretchen um, Institute. So it has like economic implications, not getting women into work. And more so, STEM is very, very critical for innovation, job creation. So if we have to advance as a nation, if we have to advance and compete globally, we need to have all hands on deck. And that's what I preach every day. That's the truth I'm living. If I can make other people live that truth, then I'm happy. When was there a time that your leadership, your persistence was seriously tested? I think <laughs> that's, um, that happens for me. That happens daily because, you know, <laughs> I go to places. I go to places today. This is my third meeting. I go to places where I'm pretty much like the only one. So by the only one, I mean sometimes the only woman Sometimes the only person of color, you know, like, even though it's apparent what the statistics are saying, when you bring this topic to the table, there, you still have, like, pushbacks, you know? Like what? What are they pushing back at? Because some, some companies will be like, um, the, the problem is women are not applying. We don't get enough applications. We don't know where to find women. You know, like, there are all these excuses as to why the cultures in some organizations have remained the way it is. But then the women on the other hand are saying, we're applying, but we're not getting the job. So sometimes my question is, where are you looking? And that's, I guess that question led me to create a solution. So um, this year we launched a platform called DARE. DIR.com.au. So there is um, a recruit tech platform where employers can find women in STEM. It's very niche. Now, the thing is, when you say STEM, it almost sounds very niche. Like, and then when you say women, <laughs> you're already saying STEM, a sector on its own, and then you're saying women. But look, it's not niche at all. Just to give you an insight um, of what the numbers look like, Helen. By 2025, 90% of the jobs in Australia would need STEM skills. And by 2030, we would need additional 1.2 million workers, tech workers. So who is going to fill up all those roles if we don't have all hands on deck? So before I come back to leadership issues, I want you to tell me, for clarity for our listeners, what are the one or the top two or three impediments in your mind, to women getting into STEM jobs? Very, very brilliant question. I would give four. 
first four key areas that we have to focus on. Education, employment, retention and leadership, entrepreneurship. If we can't focus on these four areas, we've solved the problem of underrepresentation of women in STEM. There is a lot of emphasis on STEM education, which is good. And I'm doing, like, in everything that I say, I have work that I'm doing to back it up. So, for example, I'm one of the advisory panel members um, with the Australian Academy of Technology and Engineering, ATSI. ATSI had received a $41.2 million grant to provide scholarships for girls into STEM. What I do, as I guess, as a panel member, is to really advise on areas, strategies, on encouraging more girls to apply for these scholarships, right? And this is from undergrad, master's, leadership, which is good. It's good for us to focus on getting more girls to study STEM. Now, the problem is, if we get these girls to study STEM, however, they can't see their role models, their moms, their aunts, their, you know, friends, their role models working in STEM roles, it's a dissatisfaction. So for us to solve the problem, it's something that we have to solve simultaneously. It's not solving this and then waiting and then waiting for 10 years to solve the next one. We have to solve everything all at once. So that's the first one, education, which we are beginning to see some results, right? Now, the next one is employment. We are seeing that the STEM equity uh, monitor report that was released this year shows 36% of university STEM graduates are women. But we are seeing that only 15% of women with STEM skills actually work in STEM. So there is a gap. You know, we've thought previously that girls are not interested in STEM, but that's not what the data is saying. As a scientist, I'm, as an engineer, I love, love, love numbers. You know why? Numbers do not lie. Numbers do not lie. The data doesn't lie. So that's what the numbers are showing. So we need to have those girls, those women who have graduated with STEM skills, we need to enable them to get, get into employment. The other bit is they have to stay employed. So if we have 36% graduating, 15% working, then there is a gap. So the gap is they are getting into the workforce. For some reason, they are not staying. So that's a big question that we have to ask why. And this is why, Helen, a lot of companies push hard for diversity, but they lack spaces of inclusion. I always give this analogy of animals grazing on a moorland. When it's a green field, the animals graze and they sleep, all right? They, they lie down pretty much they sleep. But if it's brown or if it's yellow, they graze and they move on. So when we push for diversity, we have to have those inclusive measures in place. And it's okay if, as I mean, it's not okay, but as a business, if you don't have the capability to implement, you know, inclusion policies, then you should reach out and partner with organizations that can help you. Because sometimes, unfortunately, a lot of businesses leave the burden of this on their HR, which is completely unfair. Now, when women come into the workplace, especially women from underserved backgrounds, by underserved background, I mean First Nations women, migrants women, just to give you an insight, the 2020 STEM, STEM um, workforce report by Australia's chief scientists showed that 56% of university qualified women in STEM in Australia are actually Australian women born overseas. 
So these are not temporary residents. These are not students. They are Australians. Unfortunately, they face over four times higher unemployment rates. So it's us inviting people to come in to contribute their skills, and then they go through that very tedious process, unfortunately not being able to apply their skills to work. We are losing money, you know, by doing that. So the thing is, when they experience difficulties at, in the workplace, they're told to go to HR. Unfortunately, HRs are not equipped to deal with some of those, you know, um, gender issues, cultural issues. And then HR will say, go to EAP. <laughs> and then they're not having a mental health issue, you know, based on what's going on in their personal life. It's what's happening in the workplace that is cascading to this. So if you look at it, we have to look at this problem very holistically. So we have to do more in that retention bit for women to stay. The next one that I said was what? Entrepreneurship. To give you a perspective, in 2021, $10 billion was raised in venture capital funding across Australia. Do you know how much percent went to women-led founders? 3%. But 22% of founders identify as women, and this is launch week data. So if we are saying that, look, it's okay for you to dream. It's okay for you to have an idea, but look, we're not going to support you. So these are the things that we have to do if we want to see a shift in those numbers. Are you good at giving and receiving feedback? Of course. For you to grow, you can't think you know it all. It's only a foolish person that thinks that they know it all, right? So you have to, for me, I love to listen to my team because if I have someone on board, I have them on board because of their expert knowledge. So it's foolishness for me not to listen to them. I was saying this to my mother-in-law recently. Um, I'm very, very good friends with my mother-in-law. Um, she's one of the reasons I'm able to do a lot of the things that I do. I've got three boys. And I was saying to her recently, that I would rather learn from the mistakes of others. It's foolishness to make the same mistake, you know? And because sometimes people say things like, experience is the best teacher. For me, I think that that's bullshit. And what about giving feedback though? Are you good at giving it or do you just not have time for that? Because I think giving feedback takes a fair amount of time. No, Helen, I give feedback, but it's also about constructive feedback. So when I give feedback to people, you, you don't want to crush the person's spirit. So when I give feedback, I first of all would acknowledge what they've done right, what I think is working. I would then come in to say, okay, this is what I think we can do to make it better. Everyone wants to be better. Deep, deep down inside every one of us, there is a desire to do things better. And that's why we have regrets, right? If we didn't think that there is a better way of doing things, then Obviously, we would live life without, you know, thinking, oh, I should have done this better. But deep down, we all want to be better. So it's also having someone that believes in you being better. So that's what I, I think to the best of my understanding, I have portrayed myself to be that kind of leader. But then again, I can't assess myself. So it is. Too, I guess it, it is the hard people to, around me would be would be. <laughs> um, I know you often wonder when you talk about these things whether you're lead, with the team you're leading is all rolling their eyes, right? But 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 I I do want to just um, highlight the good feedback thing because I think giving feedback 
uh, is obviously a gift. It, it does mean everyone improves. Apparently, research shows women are less likely to be given feedback. But one of the things I worry about with it is that women so often lack confidence and you spend a lot of time as a leader working on the confidence of your team because for all the reasons we know, confidence is often um, stripped from women from pretty early ages in their lives. So I'm often trying to build confidence and then I worry that feedback, even good feedback, can undermine the confidence battle. Do you have any thoughts about, I guess, the tension point between feedback and building confidence? So this is my style. I think I'll just say how I do it. So rather than saying, oh, Helen, you didn't do this, right? You didn't do this, right? Da, da, da. I would rather ask you questions. So Helen, what do you think we should have done to make this better? And that gives the person an opportunity to introspect and reflect on what they've done. And at the end of the day, when you go through, when you go through and you navigate the feedback session in that way, you give them an opportunity to think deeply and they would reflect and they would be the ones really highlighting areas that they think they can improve on. And in that way, you have achieved your results of wanting them to be better without crushing them. Because they are like, at the end of the day, we are, we are the best evaluators of ourselves if we are being honest. But it's really having that time to be able to to sit down, to think, reflect, and introspect. Unfortunately, most of us don't because the world as it is, you know, there are a lot of things that takes your time from mobile phones, there's technology, people are just busy. So people don't have that time to really sit down, have that quiet moment and think and say, look, where did I go wrong? How do I think I can make it better? I do. I spend... I wake up very early in the morning when, when my home is quiet with three boys. It's a very busy household. Um, and I do a lot of journaling. So I'm able to really sit down and, and tell myself honest truth. Because if, if you really, really want to be better, you have to be willing to give yourself those honest truths. So then when you go through that feedback session with your boss or wherever, um, it's really about... It's not new to you because you've already had that moment with yourself. And in that way, I don't think you would take it as though you're being criticized. One of the other things I wanted to um, cover off with you is the, I think the generalization that's broadly accurate that STEM and tech has always attracted introverts. You are clearly not an introvert. Molly, I no, can I'm tell. <laughs> <laughs> so talk to me about managing introverts and whether there's, you know, any, any advice you've got. Because I think, you know, a team of introverts, and I, I've had them at times, I tend to gravitate to hiring introverts. I'm keen to know what your experience is, particularly in the STEM sector. I think it's, life is about balance, Helen. That's why I love physics. You know, physics teaches us about balance. So we don't create ourselves and we don't um, determine what personalities we'll come to life with, right? And I don't see anything wrong with being an introvert or an extrovert or whatever. It's just really knowing your personality, understanding and navigating the strengths and the weaknesses of your personality. I, I did this thing way back 
2015, the 16 personalities test. So <laughs> I know the areas that are my strength and I know my weak areas. So I wouldn't think that I know it all. So as an extrovert, I need people who are introverted to work with so we can create that sort of balance. So I wouldn't change anyone and I wouldn't change how they are. I would only be able to work with them on areas that are their strengths and areas that I wouldn't really classify it as weakness, but areas that, um, let's say, some some other person in the team, some other person in the team has, you know, a better shot at. It's really about co collaborating and, and working together. But one thing, though, that I would say is, I think saying that a lot of science people, like nerds, are introverted, it's not always true. The thing, though, is um, some of them are not, but, you know, Sometimes when you spend time, let's say, in the lab, engaging with a lot of bacteria, you're not talking to people or you spend time, you know, um, with your tech technology, you don't necessarily have conversations all the time with people. So one of the areas that I am strongly advocating for is communication with scientists. So I am one of the mentors for the Superstars of STEM program with Science Technology Australia. I also sit on the executive committee. And really, one of the focus of that program, the Superstars of STEM program, is to really encourage women scientists that are, most, most of them, I think, they're in senior, mid-senior roles, um, but to really encourage them with that communication gap. Because, you know, a lot of scientists have very brilliant ideas but really expressing that and communicating that sometimes can be a challenge. And so that's where collaboration comes in. So it's not a bad thing that, you know, because we are wired the way we are wired, but it's really looking for someone, if you lack something, looking for someone that has it, and then you could combine forces and do something, something incredible. Do you have a, a go-to question when you're interviewing people to join your team? Is there one question that you always ask and, you know, sort of have a, an answer that you want to hear? When I'm interviewing people to join my team, I give them real-life scenarios. Because we, we're, we're a startup, right? Um, with their, iSTEM is a service-based business, but with their, it's a startup. So I give them... I just go right into it. Because the truth is, sometimes we don't know, you know, like I'll take, for example, myself. Sometimes we don't know the level or the extent of our stretch until we get there. So it's kind of like we've got this potential energy, but it's just sitting there, dormant. But when we, you know, apply work to it, then it's kinetic and it's energy in, in motion. So I just jump right into it and I just, I, first of all, one thing that I want to see is the passion, right? I want to work with people who are passionate and enthusiastic, but not just people who talk because there are some people that, you know, they appear passionate. And at the end of the day, when it's time to work, they don't, they don't put in the work. So that's why the first thing I look out for, obviously, passion, enthusiasm. So even if someone is an introvert, you can still tell when someone is passionate about, about a cause. Because um, what we are doing, it's almost like a movement. Because 
we are creating solutions, but we are also changing mindsets. We are changing mindsets from previous beliefs and um, patriarchal systems that um, STEM is just, you know, anyone can dream. We come to the world with all these ideas that we don't know if they are gender-based. You know, we just find ourselves gravitating towards certain interests. So the first thing I would obviously look out for is, do they have the same interest as me? Are they genuinely concerned about this problem? Because if they are genuinely concerned, they will go over and beyond to see a solution, right? Then the next thing is, I just give a life case scenario. You're building this. You have to push this into the market. What would you do? In that way, the problem, their problem-solving skills becomes obvious. You can actually see how they are able to navigate through the problem. But if you don't do that, then you don't know who you're hiring. You know, but when people are put, you know, they say they say pressure brings out diamonds, and it's true, right? The best things come out when there is a little bit of pressure. So when we are put on the hot seat, we begin to think outside the box, and we begin to think in a problem-solving way. So that's how I generally recruit. What does success look like for you? Brilliant question. Success for me. It's seen that in 50 years' time, or maybe in the future, maybe not 50 years, 50 years is too far. I hope that there would be no need. Like, I hope that there would be, we would have solved the issue and there would be no need to still have this conversation. Why I said 50 years, it almost seems like um, 50 years is too far away. Um, yesterday, we celebrated Ada Lovelace um, Day. And she was very instrumental in computer programming. And you would think that that was like in the 18th century. You would think that we've made a lot of progress, but her work for a long time wasn't acknowledged. Women in STEM still face that <laughs> today. So for me, success is seeing that a girl doesn't have to be afraid when she finds herself interested in fixing things. She can dream and know that there is a space in the world for her dreams. That's what success looks like. Um, the other bit is to see a shift in those numbers. Only 27% of women in the workforce, we have an almost equal gender balance in the society. So if I see a shift in those numbers, that's success. Success is seeing a shift in education, in employment, leadership, entrepreneurship for women, where we don't have to say anymore, women CEO, but CEO. We don't have to say female engineer, but engineer, you know, where we don't have to. There is no gender lens to any of these things, but people can just really contribute their quotas to society. Dr. Molly Muse, thank you for everything you are doing in this space. Best of luck with your startup. Uh, I know how much blood, sweat and tears goes into a startup, but a passion is the main driver of a startup and persistence. I can see what you're building will be a wild success and may you get investors. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Helen. Thank you for having me. This podcast was recorded on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to elders past and present. 
Executive producer is Jennifer Goggin. Series producer is Holly Mitchell. And audio imaging by Nat Marshall. 